all of us have relationships of some type or the other. We're either married, uh -huh, or we have a job where we're in a relationship with people. We have children, we have grandchildren. We all have relationships of some kind. So today we're going to talk about specifically some fears that we face during a relationship. Um, and to do this, we're going to go way, 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 way back to the book of Genesis. We're going to talk about the first relationship that was ever on the face of the earth. The first man and the first woman. <clears throat> so we all kind of know the story. I want to lay, lay a little bit of background first. So first of all, we have God, and he had created the heavens and the earth and the sky and the seas and the sun, and he looked at it, and everything was just great. But the problem was is he felt a need to have a relationship. So he created man. He created Adam, the first man. So he did this from the dirt, and he put some dirt together, and he fashioned Adam. And he said, you know, that was pretty good. But then he realized, he looked around, and he saw all the animals, and he said, you know, we've got, we got a pair of donkeys, we got a pair of gorillas, we got a pair of this, a pair of that. And Adam didn't have a pair. He didn't have a mate. So he said, okay. So what he did is he took Adam, and he put Adam in a deep sleep. And he did surgery on him. And he did surgery, and he took a rib out of Adam, and out of Adam he fashioned a woman. And sometime later, as soon as he got finished with his handiwork, he said, wow, this is really good. No, he really didn't say that. So, and then he woke Adam up, and he presented Adam with this naked woman. And it's the first time that he met his wife. And can you imagine? He was probably going, oh, whoa, God, you are really good. I mean, God, you're good. You are really good. So he introduced Adam and Eve together, and from there we see the perfect relationship. There was never any sorrow. There was never any conflict. There was never any issues of who was going to take out the trash or not. It was a perfect relationship between a man and a woman, and they had the perfect setting. They were in the Garden of Eden. They had everything they wanted and needed. So then, fast forward a little bit. So as they're walking in the garden one day, all of a sudden, we all know the story. The serpent came to Eve, and he said, now listen. And we all know that God had set some standards in the garden. He had set up rules. In every relationship, there's rules. In every, uh, every country, there's rules. Everything we have, there's rules. God set down some standards. And the, what he told him was, he said, you can eat, you can go, you can do anything you want to in the garden. You can eat of any tree out of the garden except this one. So later on, the serpent came to Eve and he said, now listen, God didn't really tell you that. What he said is that you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden. We all know that's a lie. That's how the devil works. He, he tricks us into believing certain things. So the devil came to her and he said, he said, listen, he said, you know better than God what you need. You need the fruit from this tree. You're really not, God doesn't want you to be like him. That's the problem. You, want, you, you know you need to be God. You know what you need better than he does. And Eve took the bait. And here we are today. Because of sin, things changed drastically. So let's take a look. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3, 
verse 6. And if you have, if you'll look in your, um, your packet today, you'll see the outline for today. So there's a couple things you can write down to follow along. For those of you that are attending life groups, you can take this with you. Okay, so let's read the story together. And it said, so Eve, she ate some fruit, and then she also gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her, and he ate it. And immediately their eyes were opened, and suddenly they felt shame and nakedness. Now, let me tell you something. There had never been any shame at any point at this time until fruit from the tree. This is where shame entered our world, right here. This is the point where shame entered. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves up, and then they heard the Lord walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and they hid from God among the trees. But God called out to Adam, and he said, Where are you? And Adam replied, I heard you coming, so I hid. Excuse me, so I was afraid, and I hid because I was naked. Then God asked, Who told you you were naked? Who told you? How did you find out you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And Adam said, you gave me this woman. Yeah. I'm glad you see the funniness of that. She gave me the fruit and I ate it. And then God said to Eve, why did you do this? And Eve said, the serpent deceived me, so I ate it. So God said to Eve, now this is a condition of her sin. He said, you've disobeyed me, so now this is what's going to happen. He said, you've disobeyed me, so not only you're going to have problems in pregnancy, you're going to have problems in childbirth. How many ladies in here can testify that they've had some problems delivering or carrying a baby? Thank you, Eve. So she's, and then it goes on and it says, he says, you'll have problem, greater problem, greater trouble in pregnancy and speaking, apparently, and great pain in childbirth. And then he also says, you will, and though you will desire your husband, he is going to lord it over you. Now, what does this mean? This means you're going to love your husband. You're going to want your husband, but there's going to be some issues. There's going to be some domination problems. There's going to be some in your marriage. And then God said to Adam, because you have also disobeyed me and you have sinned with your wife, the ground of which you, the ground you work now is cursed. And though you will eat what you have planted, your fields will grow weeds and thorns and thistles. And now, now we can thank Adam for that. And for the rest of your life, you will have to sweat and work hard for your food until you yourself have returned to the dirt from which you came. So when I, I've got to move through this very quickly, but I want to talk about three from this story. There's so much juice. We can go many different directions. But what I want to talk about is three basic fundamental fears that arise up in every relationship that we have based on the sin that occurred right there. That was a transforming uh, t- period in our as human beings. So let's talk about three fundamental fears. Here we go. Fear number one is the fear of exposure. The fear of exposure. When we fear exposure, we become distant. Why is it that we can't get close to our mate? Why is it that we can't get close to someone on our job? Why is it that we are at an arm's length from our children sometimes? Let me tell you a little secret. There's a lot about you that you don't like. 
There's a lot about you that you don't accept. And because you don't accept it, you know and you feel like that somebody next to you, your, your, your husband, your wife that you've known for 50 years, because I don't accept it, they're not going to like it. Same thing on your job. You don't want to get close to anybody because they're going to see your warts and all. You might see my little bit of cellulite. You might see my gray hair. That's why we don't want to get close to people. Fear makes us distant. We become distant. Genesis 9 and 10, excuse me, Genesis 3 verse 9 and 10 says this. God called Adam and he said, why are you hiding? And Adam said, I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. Let me tell you, let, me tell you, let you in on another secret. When God asks you a question, guess what? He already knows the answer. It's kind of like mama, you know? What are you doing in there? Well, she already knows what you're doing because she heard the cookie jar rattling. When God asks us a question, he knows already the answer. What he's wanting us to do, when he asked Adam that question, what he was wanting Adam to do is to own up to his issue. Transformation can never happen in any spiritual, mental, relational, whatever. It can never happen until we own up that I've got a problem. When I own up to it, then changes can occur for the better. As long as we're in denial, there's no recovery. There's no transformation. So fear always causes us to hide. And sometimes there is um, stages of this. So I want to run through these very quickly. Um, let's talk about nakedness just real quick. What does it mean to be naked? And I'm not talking about physically naked. We not all know what that means. And, but in the scripture here, it says, I was naked and so I hid. When we are naked, whether it be emotionally or physically, we are all out there. Everybody sees it. I'm exposed. I am unprotected. I am uncovered. I am vulnerable and I am authentic. This is the real me. When you see me naked, guess what? It's warts and all. You too. So, and Adam was afraid of that. He was afraid because now he saw himself as he truly was. All right, so let's talk about three stages of fear. This is what I was going to share with you. And I never really realized this until I read this scripture over and over and over again. And the first stage of this fear of distance is shame. We, heard, we read that shame comes into the world right here. Shame. People who have shame in their life, they're absolutely mortified of being embarrassed. They don't want anybody, you know, embarrassment is the worst thing that can ever happen. They'll do anything possible to avoid embarrassment. People that carry shame. I wonder if there's anybody carrying shame today. And the second thing is cover-up. The cover-up. Now, to cover-up means to conceal. Okay, I'm trying to conceal something that's out there. The scripture says in verse 7 of 3 and 7, it says, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves up. Has anybody ever seen a fig leaf? I don't know about you, but it would probably take about 10 trees to cover me up, okay? And some of you are taller and bigger than me, so we're in trouble. So here's the deal. We today, that's all they had to cover up back then. That's what they had. But we're in the, you know, year of 2017, and our, the sophistication of which we cover up today 
is amazing. I mean, yes, I put some hair color on my hair because I do not want you to see how beautiful silver it is. We use hair color. We use makeup. We use cars to make us look like, to, to, expose, to express this image. I got news for you. Newsflash. We need to stop it. We need to start being authentic. Stop the cover-up. But there's an there's even more sophisticated way that we cover up today, and that's through social media. Instagram, Facebook. I don't know how many of you have ever seen these relationships. Oh, you are the best friend in the whole wide world, and everybody wants to date you. No. You see the marriages projected out on Facebook. We need to stop it. We need to become real. We need to become authentic. Cover up. What are you covering up today? Um, number three, the, the, the third phase of this um, fear that we have is distance. If you look at the scripture on verse 8, it says they hid themselves from God among the trees. Now, I want you to watch the progression here. First, they were ashamed. Second thing, they started covering up while they were standing there. And then the next thing you know, they're hiding way back way from God. So look at the progression that we see there from fear. Fear is going to cause us to be distant not only from people, but it's going to cause you to withdraw from God. Fear. What's causing you to be distant today? What's causing you to be fearful? The second fear that we have is the fear of disapproval. The fear of disapproval. The fear of disapproval makes me defensive. How many of you know people that are like, you can't even have a conversation with them about, they're like in your face. So here we see in this particular, with this particular issue, we begin not only becoming distant, but what happens is we start attacking people. When we become distant and we become offensive, we start hurling stuff. Well, you did this and you did that. We start finger pointing. Look at the scripture. God said, did you eat what I told you not to eat? And Adam said, you gave me this woman. So now we've got Adam. He's being confronted by God, and he said, she, he blames it on the woman. Well, actually, he blames it on God because he gave her the woman. Excuse me, he gave him the woman. So he starts hurling accusations. You did this, God, really, because you gave her to me. If you hadn't have designed this thing, I wouldn't be having this problem. So he's blaming God. He's pointing fingers at God. The more critical, I want you to listen to this. I want you to stop and think about it in your own life and those around you. The more critical you become or a person becomes, your wife becomes, your boss becomes, the more you know they fear disapproval. Think about those people in your life. Well, Adam not only blamed somebody, but look at Eve. Let's look at Eve real quick. It says, Genesis 13, or 6 and 13 says, Eve says, the serpent deceived me, and I ate it. So Adam blames Eve, and she blames the snake. Great. Nobody's willing to take responsibility. Nobody's willing to take responsibility. What is it in your life? Are you fearing disapproval? Are you becoming defensive with your husband, with your wife? That's one of the things in marriage I think we can sometimes have a conversation because it's like it's tit for tat, blah, 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 on and off, and conflict, conflict, conflict. 
The third fear. So we fear exposure. We fear disapproval. And the third fear is we fear losing control. How many of you know controlling people? Okay. You fear losing control. When we fear losing control, we tend to just grab on. If I let go, then everything's going to be out of control. I want you to look at Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were living in perfect paradise. They had everything they needed. And then all of a sudden, because of sin, they lost everything. They lost their destiny. They lost their future. Now they had to work for everything. So everything had changed drastically. The more out of control you feel, listen to this, the more out of control you feel, the more controlling you become. We tend to grab on. We tend to lash on. We, beget, we become demanding, domineering. Let's look at the scripture. 16, verse 3, 16, excuse me, chapter 3, verse 16. God said to Eve, she said, you, he said, you will have yearnings for your husband. In other words, you're going to love him, you want to want him, you want, him, want to be your husband, you want to be partners, you want to be in relationship with him, but he's going to lord over you. One of the uh, definitions of this says he will dominate you. Ladies and gentlemen, this particular scripture is the, con- the battle of the sexes. That's where it began right there. And from there on out, in all of our married relationships, there's conflict. There's jockeying for who's going to win. There's manipulation, ladies. Yes, ma'am. And this is where it started. Y'all are laughing, but it's true. You're laughing, but it's true. That's where the misunderstanding came between men and women, the conflict, the bargaining. Girls, we know how to bargain. Well, honey, if you'll do this, I'll do that. That's where it came from, right here, the battle of the sexes. So I got a question to ask you. How do we move from being competitive in our relationships, whether it be husband and wife, and uh, complaining and all of the jockeying for who's going to win and who's going to lose and our relationships. How do we move from the marriage being working together and a friendship working together and a boss working together? You see, all of these principles will work in any area of our lives. How do we move from that? What is the antidote for the problem? The antidote is love. The antidote is love. Living in God's love. That's the antidote. When we learn to live in God's love, fear goes. The opposite of fear is love. And let me show you how. 1 John 4.18 says, Wherever God's love is, there is no fear. When fear comes in the front door of your house, guess what has to go out? Love. When love comes in the front door of your house, guess what comes in? Excuse me, goes out. Fear. That's scriptural. You cannot have fear and love in the same household. One or the other is going to take over. So how do I learn to do this? What do, how do I apply that to my life? How do we as Christians apply God's love to our life? First of all, we got to know about love. How does he love us? How do we apply this love to our life? These are so good. 
I hope you're writing these down. The first thing we have to do is every single day I have to surrender myself to him. Every single day I have to surrender myself. Not my spouse, not my boss. I got to start with me. Transformation starts with me. And it starts with you. We can't change them. We got to change us first. Every day I have to surrender. I have to surrender my will. I have to surrender my emotions. I have to surrender my anger. I have to surrender everything. My body, my mind. Every day when your feet hit the floor in the morning. Lord, I surrender myself to you. I surrender my emotions to you. I surrender my husband to you. I surrender my day to you. Surrender it to God. Job 11, 13, and 18 says this. This is, um, everybody needs to take this verse. You need to write it on an index card or a sticky note, and you need to put it on your bathroom mirror or on your visor or on your, your cubicle at work. Everybody needs, to, everybody needs this. Job 11, 13, 18 says this. Surrender your heart to God. Turn to him in prayer and give up your sins, even those you do in secret. Then, all right, so this is a premise and a promise. Remember, we've learned about premise and we've learned about the promise. So if you do this, then all this is going to happen. It's a promise. So it says, then you will not be ashamed. You will be confident and you will be fearless. Your troubles will go away like water under a bridge. How many need your troubles just to flow away? Amen. Your darkest night will be brighter than noon. You will rest safe and secure. You will, you will be filled with hope and emptied of sorrow. Wow. Wow. So if I surrender my heart to God, if I seek him in prayer, if I confess my sins, then I'm going to be confident. I'm going to be fearless. I'm going to be unashamed. My, my troubles are going to float away. I'm going to be filled with hope. I'm going to rest. How many of you need some rest? All you got to do is surrender. All you got to do is surrender. This scripture is full. Oh, my gosh. Three commands and th eight promises. Wow. Write it down. Write it down. Write it down. All right, so every day I have to surrender. The second thing I have to do is every day I have to remember Every day I have to remember. What in the world do I have to remember? I have to remember how God loves me. Say that out loud. How How does God love me? There's four ways that he loves you. I want to run through these really quick. First of all, he, you are totally and completely accepted. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to say anything. You are completely and abundantly accepted. Everybody in this room is accepted. How do I know that? Because the Bible tells me so. In Titus chapter 3 verse 7, it says, Jesus has made us acceptable by God. When we accept Jesus in our life, guess who God sees when we are presented to him? He doesn't see me. Who does he see? Jesus. Jesus has made me acceptable. You are acceptable. You know, we can, we can try all of our lives to be perfect, to be accepted by people. 
guess what? Jesus was perfect, and people did not accept him. Amen? So what makes you think if I try to be perfect, if I try to wear the right clothes, if I try to drive the right car, it's going to make, make us acceptable? No. Jesus wasn't acceptable. But he's made us acceptable. Amen? Number two, unconditionally loved. I am unconditionally loved. Listen, God's love is consistent and unconditional. It's con- say that out loud. It's consistent and unconditional. That means God's love never goes away. It will never leave you. It will never change. And God didn't say, I love you if, like your mama and your daddy and your friends. I remember coming into the presence of my father, my earthly father, on occasion when I was a little girl. And I never know, knew if I was going to be accepted or if I was going to be cursed or if I was going to be rejected. I, I could be just you know, step into the room and say, hey, daddy, I love you. And it would be a verbal abuse. I never knew what day it was going to be a good day to step into his presence. You don't have to worry about that with God. You're unconditionally accepted, unconditionally loved. Amen. The Bible says this in Isaiah 54, 10, my love for you will never end, saith the Lord. It goes on and on and on. He loves you, period. Period. I'm accepted and I'm unconditionally loved. And number three, I'm totally forgiven. Once we come to Jesus and we surrender ourselves to him, our sins are cast as far as the east is to the west. He remembers them no more. He doesn't rehearse them over and over again. He's released your sins. They're gone. We're totally forgiven. In Romans, it says there is no condemnation for those who love Christ Jesus. They're gone. We're totally forgiven. No questions. Number four, it says, I am extremely valuable. Now, many of you in this room do not feel valuable. You don't feel loved. You don't feel accepted. But I want to ask you a question about the value of something. What gives something value? Number one is who owns it. And number two is what somebody's willing to pay for it. So would you say if um, we had a toothbrush up here. Actually, we had two toothbrushes. And one was mine. How valuable do you think that toothbrush would be? Probably not. But if Blake Shelton, if I had a toothbrush with Blake Blake Shelton up here, I bet you some of them ladies out of that audience would just be running up here, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it. You'd pay a price for Blake Shelton toothbrush. But for mine, you'd throw it in the garbage can. So who owns it gives value. Who owns you? Who owns you? God owns you. 1 Corinthians 6 and 20 says, you have been bought with a price and paid for by Christ's death. You are very, very valuable. He thought you were valuable enough to go to the cross for you. You're valuable. Now, the other question was who, we said, who owns it and what somebody's willing to pay? Now, how many, all, most of us in here have a home, and we, if we would like to sell the home, how much do you think your house is worth? Not as much as you think it is. Because it all depends on who's willing to go and pay the price, right? Right. Well, I can tell you that who owns you 
and who values you, he paid a fine price for you. He died on the cross for you and for me. Long before we ever sinned, he knew what was going to happen. He knew who we were going to be. He formed us in our mother's womb. He knew us, and he died anyway. That's how valuable you are to him. The price has already been paid. So here we have, we've got to surrender every day. We've got to remember. I'm going to challenge you this week to think of these things. Surrender, remember, and here is where the rubber meets the road. We have to offer. We have to offer. We have to offer the same acceptance. We have to offer the same forgiveness. We have to offer the same unconditional love. And we have to treat others as if they're just as valuable as we are. I'm going to have you stand to your feet this morning. I said we've got to offer that same acceptance and forgiveness and love. And we have to treat each other as they're just as valuable as God thinks I am and you are. And let me tell you, it's not a suggestion. You know, in Guatemala, we come up to a stop sign, and Brother Tyson, he'd pull up to the stop sign, and he would just run right through that stop sign. And we were like, ah! Y'all wait. Y'all fixing to go on a mission trip, and y'all going to have the same problem. I'm telling you. Just wait. He'd pull up to the stop sign, and he'd slow down maybe just a little bit, and then he'd run right through it. And he'd lean over to us, and he said, all the stop signs just a suggestion, and we're all like. Oh, Lord Jesus, we're going to die. So this is not a suggestion. God didn't say, well, maybe you might accept a couple people. Maybe you might forgive them. Maybe you might love them. No. Listen to what he said. John 13, 34 says this. Today I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Now that's not a suggestion like the stop signs in Guatemala. It's a commandment for us to love each other. It's a commandment. Now do you suppose if we loved our neighbor the way he just, that example, to accept them unconditionally, to love them unconditionally, forgive them unconditionally, and treat them valuably unconditionally, do you think that would transform our relationships? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It would. In Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians uh, 13 and 7, it says this. Love is patient. It's kind. It hopes all things, it in, and love endures all things. I'm going to read it again. Love is patient. Love is kind. It hopes all things and endures all things. I'm going to have you do something a little bit different this morning as I close this out. I'm going to have you just stretch across the aisle. Just come to the middle. Everybody stretch across the aisle. And I'm going to have you to grab somebody's hand that's next to you. Now, the Scripture says it, hopes all th- it, it is patient, it's kind, it hopes all things and endures all things. Now, what does that mean exactly? We've read that scripture over and over again, but what does it mean? 
It means, you know what? I am never going to stop being patient with you. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that is hard. It's hard when this person keeps doing the same thing over and over and over again. Whether it be a mission or commission. Love is patient. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to still love you. Then it says love never stops believing. What does that mean? Listen, I know we've had failures. I know we've screwed up. But I'm still believing in you. Love never fails. Love hopes. It expects the best. Look at your neighbor. I'm expecting the best out of you. Your best. I'm expecting your best. And love endures the worst. Listen, you can do whatever you want to to me, but I'm going to love you anyway. That's what that means. You can do whatever you want to. That's how Jesus loved us. We crucified him, and he loved us still. You can do whatever you want to, but I'm going to love you anyway. What did you come here with today? Are you distant? Have you been defensive? I'm going to ask everybody to bow. Just hold those hands. Don't let go of those hands. Have you been distant? Have you been demanding because you're trying to control things? Are you, did you walk in this morning with shame? Well, I'm here to tell you, there's a love in this house today that can take it all away. Lord, I just come to you right now. And God, first of all, I want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you for your mercy. I want to thank you for the cross, God. And Lord, you've called us to surrender ourselves to you. Lord, we surrender our emotions, God. We surrender our relationships to you today. Lord, whether it be brother, whether it be sister, whether it be husband and wife, God, in-laws, and Lord, we call them outlaws, but our, our married relationships, God. Lord, we surrender them to you. And Lord, I remember who you are. I remember that you've etched the, the names of these people in your hand. You have loved us unconditionally. You have accepted us. You have forgiven us. And God, we've reached the hard part now. And as we're holding each other's hands, God, I ask that you would come in this room and that you would bind wounds, God. Bind the shame. Bind the pain, God. Lord, the brokenness, God, that you would transform our relationships through love. That's the cure. God, would you give us a shot of love in our arms today, God? The antidote, God, for fear. Now, Lord, we offer this day up to you, God. Lord, and I thank you and I praise you. I thank you for what you've done in these lives today, God. Lord, as we go forward today, God, let us practice offering unconditional, acceptable, forgiving, and valuable love to everybody we meet, Lord. And Lord, I offer this up to you. And everybody said...